Hello, I am Joe Rycroft. And I'm Adam Hewitt. Welcome to the Exercise Right podcast, the show where we delve deep into the world of exercise, rehabilitation and wellness. A fun, non-drab approach where Adam and I will be talking about all things exercise, physiology, health and rehabilitation, whilst debunking myths, making some complex science a lot more simple and giving you some tips and tricks to improve your health and well-being. Each week we will host guest speakers who are experts in their field and hear from you, the listener, to answer any of your questions. Evening, Joe. How are you? Good evening, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Looking rather pleased with yourself. What's going on? I I am actually feeling quite pleased with myself this this fine evening. Do tell. Um, Because I cooked an epic dinner in 15 minutes from start to finish. And okay. Was it a microwave meal? <laughs> no, I may have made a very spontaneous purchase when shopping in Asda last night. Ooh, ooh, okay. And any guesses? Middle aisle. Middle aisle type purchase. Oh no, like if it, is it is it an air fryer? <laughs> it's an air fryer. Oh my I'm I a... absolutely love air fryers. I'm only about, I don't know how many years late to this hype, but I mean I've had it a day and it's changed my life. Putting Listeners out there. Roasted vegetables, game changer. <laughs> Absolute game It's fantastic. I, I love roasted vegetables. And open up a whole, it takes 45 minutes in the oven, can't be bothered. Seven yeah. minutes air fryer, job's done. Bam. Yeah, well, I cooked salmon, sweet potato wedges oh, yeah. last night and uh, may have had exactly the same for my tea tonight. <laughs> Just on yeah. repeat. Personal routine. <laughs> it is fascinating though because it is a it's a simple bit of technology and it's actually been around for ages they used to be called dry fryers and oh. yeah and now they're like of course you're going to use it because you just cook for maybe two people instead of you know heating up a meter squared box in your oven mm-hmm. just doing a little box and it's fine well that's it. that's what kind of inspired my purchase because my oven's broken and i have <laughs> zero uh, inclination time or motivation to try and get it fixed so, so, hang, on, hang on a second here you know you, listeners you know me i like to delve into things like this <laughs> i've seen an opportunity how long has your oven been broken um the main compartment of the oven hasn't been heating up for over a month now yeah so i've been on hob food oh fair enough That's I, don't, fine, I don't i don't i don't have a microwave so I've, i will i'm not not a microwave Girl, so is this good podcasting <laughs> i feel like this is potentially not good podcast listeners you can tell us but i feel like when this is not good podcasting right but, let's, uh... let's move swiftly on to our <laughs> wonderful guest that we have joining us today. probably for the best <laughs> no we actually do we have a really he's a, he's a top guy and actually um it's ed fuller and he's he's talking about his diagnosis of hemophilia but also his um almost like his one direction journey into rowing um, and how now he's prepping for the Paralympics in Paris 2024. So really good story, guys. Go for it. And you can help us by not talking about air fryers. Apologies. Get listening. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Exercise Right UK podcast. Today we are joined by Ed Fuller, a British power rower, a world and European champion in the mixed Cox Four and one of the few elite great British athletes with a condition haemophilia across the parasport spectrum. So Ed, just to kick off, can you tell us how 
having haemophilia has affected your journey into sport uh, and give us a little bit more information on where you started and where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So I got diagnosed with haemophilia when I was two years old, uh, which is quite unusual, actually, because it is genetic. So it runs kind of, you always, like you'd, you'd think that it would be shown up previously in, in previous generations of my family. But due to like the, the generation of my family being carriers, so they were women carrying it, it never actually showed up. So I was, I was two years old and I fell off about a wall that was about two foot high and um i basically cut my ear quite badly and it, i have basically obviously went to the hospital and they, and they couldn't they couldn't stitch it the glue it didn't do anything it just kept bleeding and bleeding so we basically got to the point when the doctors were like well maybe he might have some sort of genetic blood clotting disorder so they did the the appropriate genetic tests and it basically came back that i was uh type a moderate hemophiliac and but Fortunately for my brother, he didn't have it. So it's just me. So one of two with a younger brother. So my mum was a carrier and I had haemophilia. And that's basically where my haemophilia journey started, really. So moving on forward, I suffered joint bleeds into my ankles when I was nine and when I was 11. So they were the two like big like milestones in my haemophilia journey, I think. So kind of saw the age of nine I started to really those are first like incidents sort of I kind of realized that I was different and I needed to just be slightly different to the other kids especially from this is especially evident to me in like a sporting environment at school like my school was very big on its sport with its traditional like rugby cricket football hockey sort of like the main like bulk sports that they can get a lot of kids active with and I kind of found out that because of the the joint damage to my ankles from the joint bleeds, I was basically left with limited range of mobility. So basically, when it came to like running, standing for long periods of time, stopping, turning, it really like affected me. And so basically, after like a few years working with my doctors, it got to the point, I, I really enjoyed my hockey. I used to play hockey um, in kind of like late late primary school early secondary school and it got to a point where I'd just be in so much pain after the after the training sessions it was just be like sore and inflamed and my doctor was like this isn't really sustainable we need to try and find like his Ed's obviously a really sporty kid we need to try and find him a sport that's low impact that's not gonna affect his joints so he basically he basically gave me the options of rowing swimming cycling and it was basically kind of picked from there. And I was, I've never been too good of a swimmer. I swim like a stone, to be honest. So it was kind of like, my mum was like, that's not really going to be the, not going to be the the best solution. And then obviously with cycling, it is low impact, but then you're obviously at quite a high risk of crashing. And if like when it does go wrong, it usually goes wrong quite big in a big way in cycling. So uh, it basically got left with rowing and in year six, so the age of 11, so just after my, um, second set of joint bleeds um i was basically i did like a before school club uh at my primary school and it's basically it was for the uh the kids that maybe weren't necessarily as good as at the like the usual sports as like maybe some of the other kids their age and it's basically like an effort from the school to try and get more of the kids into sport so it's basically like a it's basically it's a bit of fun on the indoor rowing machines uh, in a school gym before school it'd literally be I think the sessions were literally like half an hour or something but we'd be like the teacher who ran it would just uh set like 
like a hundred meter races or something and you know i just remember racing with the kids and thinking like i was i was i was better than them basically and i really enjoyed being better than them. i was like right this is this is really fun i really want really want to do this so i did that for for year six and it came to year seven so my first year of secondary school and i basically was like i want to i want to try what it's like on the water because i remember seeing the the london olympics and thinking that was so cool and like, i remember thinking how like how narrow the boats were and thinking it was really cool so i went down to my local rowing club at exeter rowing club down in devon which is where i'm from and did a, a learn to row course there basically um and it basically all snowballed from there and i, and I just I, as I, I basically was quite fortunate to enjoy some success quite early in my junior rowing career and that basically just made me want to train harder and harder because I just enjoyed winning so much and I feel that's not like my competitive nature really so that kind of led to one thing to another and then because of the joint damage to my ankles from my joint bleeds from my haemophilia that basically makes me eligible for the for the PR3 mixed four boat class as you previously mentioned and then yeah so this is now my, my second year on the team um and we're just basically training towards the big one which is the the paris paralympic games next year (laughs) do you think knowing you had limitations in your sporting options enhanced your focus towards rowing and as as a result giving you that competitive edge knowing that that's you know you wanted to really focus your energy into one particular sport yeah definitely i feel like it was rowing has always been like my thing and it's like it's something that i've always had that I that I know I'm good at, and and I always think that no matter what's going on in the rest of my life, say if if like school wasn't going as well, or I was stressed with other parts of my life, rowing is always that thing that I can like relate back to. It's almost like banked in the back of my mind that like you, this is the one thing that you're actually really good at and you really enjoy. Um, but yeah, definitely like the the competitiveness of knowing that it was basically one of a few options, and if I wanted to to be a professional sportsman then this is what like i needed to really commit to it and i feel like just having an active child anyway kind of like lay the lay the groundwork for the kind of athlete i am now and the, the committed the committed and dedicated athlete that i've turned into essentially yeah it's, it's brilliant i think that um it's it's an interesting take isn't it because you you know you've made from a very tough diagnosis but actually that's taken you almost streamlined you towards exactly where you are now um and hopefully fingers crossed on the way to Paris I think it's a lot of kids might have received kind of that news or and families might have received that news and turned their back on sport or certainly competitive sport so I think yeah credit to you for for getting from there to where you are now yeah absolutely and I feel like um I always I always go back to the phrase that you can't you can't be it if you can't see it so from a very early age there was there was definitely some sporting role models namely to be honest uh, Alex Dowser I don't know if you've ever heard of him but he's a cyclist a, yeah, very 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 good cyclist Joey's an avid cyclist um, yeah and she, she's oh, trying really? to segue oh, into a, her own cycling <laughs> podcast I know she is <laughs> <laughs> well yeah well I'm, I'm a massive cycling fan as well mainly from Alex oh, God. I think because, good lad good lad <laughs> yeah so like it's like rowing and cycling are my two things but but yeah from Alex has been a massive role model of mine from quite a young age because remember all my doctors used to speak to, to speak about him they're like 
they're like, oh, there's this, there's this other guy with hemophilia who's really, really good. And I remember like looking him up on on the internet and and seeing how good he actually was, and that the fact that someone with the, the exact same condition as me is like setting the hour record and stuff and, and winning winning like world tour stages at the Giro and stuff is like amazing and like honest like yeah I feel like if I had to name one role sporting role model for me growing up it would definitely be Alex purely because we have the exact same condition and it's like mm. it's kind of like I want to I want to be in that position like one day and I remember just being like 14 years old being like yeah, I want to be as good at rowing as he is at cycling. How does it feel now, knowing that you potentially could be a role model like Alex is, to fellow, you know, hemophiliacs, but also children coming up in the ranks um, in the world of rowing? No, it feels it feels strange, but really cool. I think um, that honestly feels so surreal because, like I said, I remember, I remember being that kid looking at looking at their role model. So. Yeah, I, I don't think it doesn't really feel real, but it's like it's so cool to actually that there's, if there's even one kid in the country that thinks that thinks of me the way I thought of Alex. I think that's amazing. What message would you say in this stage now to any of our listeners out there, or maybe have children, or even the children if they're listening themselves? What message would you say? I think just enjoy it. Like enjoy enjoy your sport, enjoy the process, and like. As long as you're enjoying it, I think that's the most important part. Because if you enjoy it, you're then you want to do it more and you want to train harder, and then you're more likely to be successful. So then it's kind of like a repeating cycle of you basically find yourself on this constant upward curve of as you grow up to be into becoming a more like wholesome athlete and fulfilled athlete. I feel like that's the most important. It all starts with your enjoyment of the sport. A great message. Well, out of interest, what does a typical week of training look like for you at the moment? So we train six days a week. With, with so Monday morning would be on the water first session, then that would be followed by uh, a session on the on land on the in, either on the indoor rowing machines or the bikes. So we use we use cross training quite a lot of rowing, specifically mainly cycling to be honest, because it just like uses your your body, the legs and your body in a different way, and it kind of like offloads your back, which is quite quite nice. And then that will be then that will then be followed by weights in the afternoon. So that'll be so you kind of. For us, we get in at 8 a.m., which is, to be honest, fair, a fairly relaxed start time. It's not too early compared to some other rowing programs and rowing teams. And then the last session will finish at about 4 p.m. So I'm usually home by about 4.30. So it's kind of like 8 till 4, really. So that'll be a three-session day. And then Tuesday is a two-session day. So it'll be a row on the water first, followed by on a, a session on the row machine. And then Wednesday will be another two-session day. So another row on the water, followed by weights. And then Thursday is a we kind of had a it's a one session day we're quite fortunate to have, so we we'll, we'll usually do one long session. So we'd, I'd maybe do like an hour and a half on the bike or something, just really just get in aerobic steady state and just just and then you have a bit of a lie in that long session. Then you get the afternoon off. Then Friday will be back into another three session day. So same as Monday, so it'll be water uh, weights, and then Saturday will be pieces day. Three and Ks, four fifteen hundreds, three two Ks, something like that. So we'll do a pre paddle for that, which will be maybe like eight to ten K, just like wakes the body up with some bursts. I was going to ask. So, how does having hemophilia change your exercise program? Because that sounds, you know, it sounds like a very complex, thorough, and comprehensive program you're doing. But does having hemophilia change and have any contraindications to exercise? 
Yeah, I've, I, so the main thing I struggle with on a daily basis is my, like, my right ankle has worse mobility. So it, I basically find that the ankle joint having less mobility affects, like, the muscles and tendons around my ankle, specifically my Achilles and my right. So if I'm going to get any sort of like flare up or pain, it'll almost always be my Achilles and my right. And it'll almost always come from like overloading, um, basically too, too many rowing strokes in a day, I'd say is probably the main, the main issue. So if I do like a long row on the water, followed by a long erg, I sometimes find when I get off, I just can't like extend through that right ankle. I can't, so basically when I'm walking, I can't like push off it. So I think sometimes it's like, it's subtle, but I just need to like manage the the load I put through my joints. And I find being on a team for two years now, I've really got to like know my limits and know my body and what my body can take and how to like extract the most out of my body, even with the haemophilia. So yeah, that's that's main like the main thing that affects me on a day to day basis. I was reading about because you spoke about you know your um, how the ankle range is limiting and also how it affects through the Achilles. I was reading about how you have like quite significant calf wastage and a smaller quadricep muscle in one leg. Um, but you're also working with, is it, was it Pat Dunleavy, wasn't it? Your physio. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's that relationship like and how does it work together? Pat is an incredible asset to the, the Paralympic rowing team. Like he's, he's vastly experienced and has been, I, I don't know, I don't put a number on it, but it's, it's at least 35 years. He's been a physio for working with, mm. British Olympic swimming, British Paralympic swimming, and now um, British rowing, as well as a career in the Navy as a, as a physiotherapist. Um, so, yeah, I feel like that sort of CV and his experience really, like, enabled me to to fully trust him from the off. So, obviously, like, I've, I've worked very closely with Pat over the last couple of years. And, like, he's... I, ne- I never realised that the ankle can affect your leg the whole way up and that's yeah. why like my i do have a bit of calf wastage and my, my quads are smaller um and my I, I have less hip range in my right hip because my ankle is worse and i've basically been my, your, the, the body's a wonderful thing and it like learns to adapt to, to basically cope with the situation as best it can but yeah on, on a day-to-day basis pat is really useful like he's he's i'm sure any any other member of the paralympic rowing team will attest to this but he's Basically, I like I probably see Pat when I don't have any issues. I probably see Pat just once or twice a week just to check in, just yeah. to go over any issues because I've always got slight little niggles. I think it's often in sport we talk about like that multidisciplinary approach and the teamwork that goes into all the different you know sports and athletes. But how how does the dynamic within your actual athlete team look like? Because are you all often like competing for seats as well as training with each other? Yeah, so there there is there is competition for seats within the Paralympic rowing team. It's not as comprehensive as and competitive as you would see on on the Olympic side, where there is literally three, four, five people queuing up just to take that one person's seat. Do you get much support on like psychology and like mindset? Yeah, so we've got a um a team psychologist called um William Winstone, and he's been working with the Paralympic rowing team for I I couldn't put a number on it but a number of years now at least since sort of like Rio time um but yeah he so we we probably get a visit from him every every month or so and he'll he'll give us like a 
the presentation is used so like for example when we have like a 2k test which is like the standard distance for rowers is a two kilometer test on the row machine it's basically how you whenever you meet a rower the first question you ask is what's your 2k it's like it's like the generic leveler of like how good are you i don't want to put a number on this but so obviously like the, the a lot of pressure and anxiety hinges on that one performance so like for example if we had a 2k coming up william would come in and and like basically talk us through about different strategies and how because obviously at the end of the day everyone needs different everyone has different coping strategies to get through that sort of performance and he basically just helps people out if they need it and and basically just gives some advice so yeah w william is a bit like Pat, a massive asset to the team we had um so i i come from a previous tennis background and uh the psychology in tennis is huge you'd have some players that quite frankly were extremely talented but it was that psychological factor that potentially ultimately made them fall short sometimes um I think there was a study I recently read about I think 70% of of tennis is is on psychological strength um what would you put that psychological bias towards in when you're in the boat and, and you're rowing oh um <laughs> I think being, I think being a power endurance sport as rowing is, I feel like a lot of it is in your head. But obviously, like compared to tennis, a rowing race is only like six or seven minutes long, whereas a tennis match is could like hours and hours long. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, yeah, definitely a lot of it is psychological. I think because I've definitely had ex experiences in the past where I've definitely had the physiology to to perform how I want to perform but my head's not been in the right place and then you can't use it to its full potential because you've kind of just worked yourself up into this like ball of stress and anxiety of, and worry of what's what's going to happen where often I find what my best performances have come from just my head's empty like I've got nothing in my head and all I'm all my all that's in my head is just focusing on what I'm going to do. I've done it thousands of times before in my life. I just need to get on that start line, look at the red light, wait for it to turn green and go. That's all I need to do. And I feel like a lot of the time it's like the the unknowing of what's about to come next is is often what can can like get inside a, 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 a rower or any athlete's head. And I've done yeah. that uncertainty, really. I think it's like human nature. Are you like superstitious do you, you super routine driven in your setup i can imagine rowing and i'm guessing here i'm I'm, absolutely, I'm not a rower myself but i can imagine it's because it's rhythmical because it's it's so precise and it needs to be so accurate is there a particular routine that you stick to every race that works for you yeah i, I wouldn't i wouldn't go as far as saying that i'm superstitious as such but um there's definitely like a regimented routine as especially in rowing that we basically just rinse and repeat every time we go out and do a performance so so when it comes to like mobility on the land you, you basically get the body firing as best you can before you actually get onto the water so we, as a crew in the four whenever we, we race and whenever we train we basically do the same mobility circuit and and basically get the body firing but then like say when, when we're at a competition you basically the training load will decrease massively so you'll end up doing Whereas before you do like 12, 16, 18k rows in training, you drop it down to like four or eight k rows. Um, so we we will literally do the same repaddle every single race we do, 
just because we know it works. Would you, if you go into coaching, would you, would you want to coach people with haemophilia or do you want to coach in a general setting? Because I guess you've got, there's an opportunity to almost galvanize and, and have and create momentum in that field. Um, but also, is there an opportunity to remain general as a coach? Um, I would love, I would love to coach another rower with haemophilia. I actually only know one other rower um, mm. who has haemophilia. I, I know, I know a few haemophiliacs, but I only know one who's a rower. It's but, quite yeah. rare, isn't it? Like, was it what what in two thousand are diagnosed? Yeah, it, it is quite rare, um, and I feel like the rowing community is so small. But I, I would, I would love to have the opportunity to to coach someone uh with haemophilia who's who's been through similar experiences to me i think that'd be such a rewarding experience um to be able to do something like that but yeah like either i feel like if i ever got the opportunity to coach someone with haemophilia that'd be incredible what is it precisely on rowing that you love the the people i think the the people because it's there's 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 very little money in rowing so the people that do it do it purely because they love the the hard work, the dedication, and then the, the the success and the glory that you get out of it. Like it's all, it's all like rowing. Similar with any sport, what you put in, you will get out a hundred percent. Because if you commit to it, you will just see progression, which is what I saw when I was younger. So the, the like the rowing community is just full of people who love to work hard. And and they love to work hard without like the attention and the money as an incentive. They do it because they love the sport and and they love they love doing what the, what they do day in day out. So fast forwarding to summer twenty twenty four, Paris. Where are you? What's your ambition? What's your hopes? I feel like that. So the. The, the Paralympic 4 that I'm in, the PR34, hasn't lost in 14 years now. Oh, my God, so, pressure. No pressure. Come next year, I feel like winning is, like, the only option. So, obviously, Paralympic Games, the plan is to win. We want to win. Obviously, we do. But I feel like we, it's going to be... A, a, we're going to be really hard-pressed, and we need to really commit to the training load. And, and basically get our teeth stuck into it if we want to come away with that gold medal around our necks, which is, at the end of the day, which is what the whole cycle is geared towards. How do you manage that pressure of almost like winning is the expectation? 14 years of the title and you're coming up with, realistically, you know, coming second would, is, you've got that streak ahead of you. How do you manage that pressure? Yeah, it is really hard because it's like yeah. if the if the four wins, brilliant. If it loses, what happened? Exactly. Like you, yeah. you basically, there's nowhere to, you can't go anywhere. You can only go down. So, yeah, especially in the stroke seat, which is the seat that I sit in. So basically, everyone is following what I do in my rhythm. I do feel a lot of pressure, but like I, like I touched on earlier, I feel like sometimes I just have to just try and get my head into the right headspace of empty mind one job one focus that needs that i need to do 
And I feel like when I can, more often than not, I can get my head into that headspace and I'm ready to go. I'm off. Like, I'm just going to do the job and almost like you forget about this, this like, this like pressure, like the pressure cooker environment that's like around the four. At the end of the day, like losing is not some like black hole that's going to swallow you up if it happens. Absolutely. And I feel like, you need like we we're all in that we're in this position where we want to win but at the end of the day the world doesn't end if we lose mm. and and we get this like we lose and then we go back out again and we get another opportunity to try and overturn it if it ever does happen yeah. so i feel like we need to like obviously we want to win and we're super competitive but we're not scared of losing how did it feel completing that race in france knowing that you've you've just done a world's best honestly amazing because yeah. it's just like all all the work you put in all the work you put in and like, so we cross the line and we know we've won obviously and then the one of the marshals has got like a megaphone and he's like he's basically calling us out and he's um it's like we're, we're like have we got the t- have we got the best time have we got the best time so obviously we can't see the clock there's no like big clock like there's an athletics where you see the no, time of course not yeah so we were like have we got it have we got it and the marshal's like great britain and he like pauses for ages he's like <laughs> i am pleased Painful. to inform you you have now set a new world best time and then we all go like oh my god ballistic we're like smashing the water smashing the boat and it's just like this like you just get this like rush of like relief euphoria is honestly awesome to, to to be the fastest pr34 has ever raced in history is a pretty good feeling Wow. And to beat the French at the same time, it's even better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, Ed, if we move slightly away from rowing now, if if you had to pick a different career, if if you hadn't kind of got into rowing, what else could you see yourself doing? Um, what as as uh, as opposed to sport or a different sport? You can't, you can't be a cyclist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different career, different career. Out, out, perhaps outside of being an athlete, maybe could still be linked to sport. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. I think I probably, I really enjoy the idea of becoming a teacher because I, I, I think nice. that, yeah, I think that as a teacher you have such huge impact in so many children's lives and I feel like I I definitely when I was growing up at my school I had two or three teachers that I thought were just incredible and I I, I, they were like huge role models to me growing up so I think yeah I think definitely even now I think life after rowing for me like being a teacher is definitely a very possible career um yeah like I say purely because I just think you can make such a difference to so many lives um and and like like be that that like role model for for kids and i think that would be like an incredible incredible thing to do on a daily basis really yeah is it is coaching like younger athletes or junior athletes something that you've you've been involved in so far or do you see yourself kind of doing a little bit more of that alongside your your own training yeah i've done a bit of coaching at exeter in my last in my couple last couple of years of juniors i I'd, I'd do some of the learn to row courses so so kind of like 11 12 year old kids who just were just starting out and wanted to give the sport a try and i feel like i do i do have quite good like people skills so i feel like definitely 
coaching rowing once I actually stop competing is definitely something I want to give a go because I feel like similarly with teaching especially if you're coaching like school kids or juniors you are a, like a bit like a teacher you're, you're still a big role model in their lives and you like if you if you make rowing fun for them that's that's an incredible thing and then if they want to if you make rowing fun they'll be more likely to want to enjoy it and do it throughout more of their lives so I feel like that that's similar to teaching I think that would be a really cool thing to do so so Ed final final question from us you're you're about to do a 2k time trial what music is playing in your ears it's a bit of a traditional Ooh. question this one Ed if you like yeah, music finish. No. I think um all of the lights by Kanye West is a really good like hype song. If you ever heard that yeah, one, yeah, I like but that. Yeah, good one. That's that really gets me going. Good choice. Oh, well, thank you so much for speaking to us today, and I think such great insight into into both elite sport and elite rowing, and then also obviously discussing hemophilia and your journey through that. It's been fascinating. No, thank you very much for having me on. It's a really cool opportunity. What last message would you have to those listeners? I think if you have a dream, keep working towards it because I'm living proof that if you if you dedicate enough time and effort and enjoy the process, that you can get to the point where you want to be, where you just you're living the life, enjoying your sport, and you're on top of the world. What a brilliant way to end there. Fantastic. What an interesting story. Um, mm. Nice guy. Really nice guy. Proper nice guy. And I think, a, you know, a story and a condition that we, you don't really hear much much about. So hopefully we can help kind of spread a bit more awareness around haemophilia. Mm. And... I really like the fact that you just, you just so like, these are your options from the doctor. And this is what you can and can't do. And it was more the overlying, I want to be into sports and I want to, regardless of kind of what the discipline is. Um, mm. And he's clearly pretty talented because seemingly whatever he's put his hand to, he's done all right with. And he's sort of just gone down that singular route of going, you can pretty much only do rowing and he's off to I, Paralympics. I know. And it'd be, yeah, I remember, I'm really excited to see how his kind of story progresses and hopefully mm. um, they can, they can deliver in Paris under the pressure of, of, of uh, the history that precedes them with the 14 years. Oh Amazing, my God. I that he's like so chilled on that. Yeah, if he loses, fine. I would be absolutely losing the plot with the. Yeah, if they were like, yeah, you're going to go into this discipline, I'd be like, no, thanks. Just give me another. <laughs> one. Give me one where we've only won one year. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to sleep now until Paralympics because I'm going to be going 14 years of really long time. <laughs> no, exactly. I would opt no. out immediately. <laughs> there's definitely got you. No, it's so interesting. Those are the psychology around it and that the mentality that must separate your elite and your professional athletes to your mm. even your very good amateurs but there is there's a you know I think I'm a big believer that whilst you know physiology we always look for those marginal gains but that the psychological aspect is huge isn't it he definitely had really good control of his mental and his psychology state mm. in his ability to go obstacle hurdle it going to go for this and then the ability to to zone out and i think that like you're right i think that that the elite side he spoke like an elite athlete mm. you know we opened up going what's your exercise program out he reeled it off monday through sunday yeah with detail of intensity reps everything wasn't it yeah 
Amazing. So anyone who wants to steal an exercise program from a very, very carefully prescribed person who's probably the SNC specialist for the GB rowing team is now going, that took me years to compose. And it's just gone, here you go, mate. Take on a podcast. Get your pen and paper out, guys. You can write it out. You, you're halfway there. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> not that we're encouraging that at all. <laughs> I am. <laughs> it's not my exercise program. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. And I, I won't. And I will say, but it was no, he did speak like a uh, a real elite athlete. And I loved that. He was, he was so single-minded on what he wanted to do. And I think you've got to have that. But no, good, good episode. I enjoyed it. Yeah, we're we're well into season two, aren't we now? So I, I know I know I'm you're I know you're dying for me to ask how how many countries have we listened in now? Ed? I love checking the podcast analytics. <laughs> I have got I need to get over this. I'm not don't worry about TikTok, not interested. Don't worry about Instagram, not interested. Spotify analytics, all over it. I know the answer already, Joe. Eleven countries. Have you got Never. alerts alerts on your phone yet when another country pops up? I just don't need it because don't close the app. <laughs> don't close it. <laughs> Amazing. I absolutely though. Never in my wildest dreams. I thought I wanted to get a large audience and I wanted to get, you know, reach out to for more people and you know, get the word out slightly more. But I it didn't cross my mind that eleven countries would to click search and go, yeah, we'll have it at that. So Thank you, all those 11 countries. I won't name them all because I think that's un- unnecessary. But um, no, super, that's fact. <laughs> my friend actually messaged me saying, who's this guy in Ukraine then? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's brilliant. I, I love it. And um, I would love, so we, we are probably what, midway through-ish of season two. Um, I think it's time for a nice correspondence round. And... I want some international correspondence, please, guys. Yeah, get, so, get sending us some questions or thoughts for us to discuss. Via Google Translate. Because... Ideally in English. <laughs> I mean, we can always use Google Translate on the other side, but hopefully okay. they're listening if... to our podcast, they understand a little bit of the English yeah. language. <laughs> you don't. You've only got to listen to a minute for the number to go up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's fine we can do that i i would i would love it it would be really good and actually on a, on a you know, semi-serious note it would be great to connect internationally um i i think that if we can get anyone you know serbia ukraine whatever it might be yes i do know the countries um it would be great if you can write in um what's the email joe info at exerciseRightUK.com. joe was put on the spot then to try and remember it the, the, the eyes back, widened you didn't back me there did you i did i did, absolutely did not back you at all oh yeah <laughs> memory no, of do. an elephant me adds memory of an elephant might be useless in other aspects but i can remember all right okay we'll uh we'll put that to the test in later podcasts <laughs> no brilliant i i think it would be brilliant so next episode is a correspondence episode um we'll give you a little bit of time before we record it and give you a bit of time to prompt and get your, your information into us but we would love to hear from you and we will see you on the other side see you on the other side bye be the first to hear about our new episodes and find more information by following Exercise Right UK on Instagram and Facebook